When I was in school for photography, one of the teachers always said, like, set your price and set it a little high because once you set your price low, it's going to be hard to raise your price. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Aaron Matherson, owner of the furniture company Matherson Woodwork. As a professional photographer, Aaron was always able to look at the everyday world and see it a little bit differently. And when he started building furniture, he was able to take that visual understanding and translate it to his designs and to his conversation with his clients and to physically building his furniture pieces. Being able to look at the world and to understand what you like in it is a big help when you're creating something new, like a piece of furniture. So follow along as we talk about where to find inspiration, moving your business across the country, what makes furniture art, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Aaron's journey in his own words. I kind of have to look all the way back to when I was a teenager skateboarding. We had a place in our local town that it was just basically a big pad of concrete, but we all built our own ramps. And I started there and I, I became known as like the ramp guy. Like if we needed something new, I was the one that was kind of designing it and building it. My father owned his own masonry business and I grew up kind of on construction sites working with him. And then at some point I decided that I didn't want to pick up rocks all day. And so I went to art school for photography. And out of school, I started working as a photographer and ended up working with a photographer in Nashville who loved architecture and design. And that really opened my eyes to other types of design other than just what I grew up with living in rural Tennessee. And then from there, you know, fast forward working as a photographer for several years to 2015 when my wife and I bought our first house. Basically, we needed some furniture and I ended up designing and building a couple of pieces of furniture and it, I never intended for it to really go anywhere, but I was like, oh, I'll make an Instagram account and put this online. And then I ended up having some other local friends. Uh, one friend was like, hey, can you do a door? I was like, I think I could make a door. And so I made a door for him and ended up getting some chairs and doing a few other things. And then it just slowly started snowballing, you know, working my 40 hour a week job. And then up until our second child was born, you know, I was doing this like constantly side hustle. And then it got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm staying busy enough that I can go out on my own. And I've been on my own ever since. So your lead up story to starting building furniture has a lot of layers to it. You were building ramps, you were doing stonework, photography, and the person you were learning from was really into architecture. So I'm sure you were involved in architecture and you brought all of those things together and built your own furniture design sense from that. Were you over the years, even though you didn't know you were going into furniture, were you keeping scrapbooks of, of, of design inspirations? Were you doing notebooks? Were you sketching? 
when you started building furniture, it wasn't out of nowhere. It wasn't like you didn't have a lot of design background to draw from. How were you cataloging all of that design information in your mind before you started building furniture? While I was doing photography, there were, you know, I, I had made a few pieces of furniture. Um, like I made a dining table and chairs for my wife and I in our first apartment together. I made like some side tables out of like exposed edge plywood. Like, I, you know, I was really looking at like kind of different styles and I would always kind of sketch. I think I, I always really liked and enjoyed nice design so it was always kind of there and and at one point when my wife and I moved from Nashville to Seattle I had actually considered going back to university for industrial design but then it it didn't make sense monetarily for me because I was basically none of my art school would transfer so I was basically having to start at square one and I'd be looking at like six years of school and I'm like that just doesn't make sense but I was always looking at design, kind of sketching things down. But, you know, it's weird. At, at the time, I wasn't really building anything. So, Well, you were building visual references in your mind and on paper and in folders and on your computer to be able to draw from without even knowing that you were going to build furniture. And then you jumped into it and started building things for friends and family back in 2015. And you built up your skills, built up your understanding of the craft of furniture, not only how to build, but also how to sell it. And then when you went out on your own, what made you think that you could make that jump? Was it just that you had enough sales? Was it that you wanted a change of career? Or was it something totally different? What mentally made you feel like you could start your own furniture company? You know, I, I don't really know. It's, you know, early on, you know, I, I made a few things and I was like, oh, I'll, maybe I'll put them on Etsy. And I had people reach out, not necessarily for the things that I had already made or things that were on there, but it was more like, hey, I see you do this. Could you do, could you make one of these? And um, a friend had a tree taken down and slabbed up. And after a couple of years of drying outside he was just like hey i don't have space for this to sit here do you want the lumber and so i ended up getting all of this free spalted maple and i ended up making him a dining table out of some of it and then from that people saw that and asked about other tables and then i was able to kind of pitch my own design style or my own ideas and people would bite on it and usually what i would do is i would do like kind of a a lower price for the first one to try to get someone to bite. And then I would list that product at the price that I thought made more sense. And then as far as like going full time, a lot of that just came down to kind of where I was at with photography and the publishing company I worked with. And then also like we were living in Seattle and childcare expenses were crazy expensive. And so having two children in daycare it was basically costing as much as my annual salary. Basically, we can cut this in half. I can still make money doing my own thing and keep the kids a couple of days a week. And so it just seemed like a really good time to, to step out and, and go full time. You mentioned 
Etsy and you kind of started on that at the same time as you were doing the word of mouth and looking at your furniture, it really feels like you're looking for that high end market and trying to sell to those high end clientels. But Etsy, it has a tendency to lean more towards craft and more handmade home goods and things like that. Not saying there's anything wrong with Etsy, but that is really where it's positioned itself in the market. Do you feel like now having had this furniture company for a while and selling on your own through your own website and also on Etsy that there's a little bit of a divergence between selling on Etsy your products and also the direction you think your furniture company is going? Yeah, you know, it's Etsy is Etsy is tough. It's um it's one of those things like I would love to get away from Etsy, but typically I don't I don't get the same amount of traffic to my website as Etsy brings in. So it's really hard. Like I would love to not have to ship another dining table across the country, but locally I just don't have the same revenue stream. So it's I I kind of I'm kind of stuck with Etsy for at least for now. The other thing that I find is locally people are coming to me more for built-ins, which if it were up to me, I would never do another built-in, but the money is pretty good for, for built-in stuff. So, so locally I end up doing built-ins. Etsy is almost all furniture. Again, being clear, nothing wrong with Etsy. A lot of great companies make their living using that platform. And so any shape or form that furniture makers and designers and builders can get their work out there, I'm all for. But I, I want to ask a little bit deeper on that question of how are you trying to set yourself apart as high-end luxury furniture on a platform that isn't really designed to support that type of design and furniture? Yeah, you know, that's it's it's really interesting. I think for me it's like I I really go for I'm I'm very heavily influenced on mid-century modern, but I also know that what I have to make on a piece in order to to get by basically. So when someone comes to me and they're like, you know, I really like this, but can we lower the price or is there something that we can do differently? Generally, that's not really the customer for me. Like I always say, like I'm not selling furniture for for me, right? Like it's um, like I'm not the type of person to go out and spend five or ten thousand dollars on a piece of furniture. But there are people that will do that and that do that on the regular basis. And I strive to build furniture that is that quality, not a. Uh, necessarily just for the price point, but just that way when someone gets something, there's, there's quality in it. Right. So, and then as far as Etsy, like, I don't, you know, it, there are times where I'm, I'm baffled by what people see and, and buy on Etsy. Cause you know, you do think more small, uh, handmade craft items, but there's, there's definitely a, a market for furniture there. So you started your furniture company when you were in Seattle and then you, had a couple moves in between. You changed your location, but you still were building furniture. When you made that move, how did you set yourself up to make sure your company didn't suffer 
going to a new location. Yes, you have Etsy, which you can ship all over the world. And yes, you have your website, which you can ship all over the world. But you also have a word of mouth base and are building things local. So did you do anything or try and set anything up when you made that move to not have a big drop in sales? Or when you got to your new locations, what were some of the things that you were doing to make sure you could ramp back up production in your new home? A few things. So for one, when we were in Seattle, I had a lot of local clients and my business had shifted kind of from where I was probably leaning more heavily on Etsy than local client base to I had more money coming in through local clients. But at some point I just had to, we knew we were moving to Miami and so I had to kind of put a stop. So I had a couple of woodworkers in Seattle that I would refer locals to. And then I continued taking orders through Etsy. I, did, I never turned my shop off, but I did put on there like, I'm still taking orders. If you place an order or reach out to me, I can give you an update. And then once we got to Florida, basically my shop was closed from like middle of April until july 31st or something like that once i got my shop set back up there are like local kind of community facebook groups and i had joined those and at some point i forget if someone was looking for something or if i just made a post like hey i'm new in town i build furniture if anyone needs anything you know let me know here's a link to my website and i had a couple of small inquiries but the one i had one really big inquiry that I ended up getting this job for this big built-in bank of shelves and cabinets and a desk. And that single job put me basically on track to make the same as I had done the year previous, even with like three months off of work. So between a few Etsy sales and then that, I was able to just keep the business going and, and flowing right through. I didn't really expect that to come in. I expected a, a dip for for that year for sure, with a little bit of time to kind of ramp back up. But but it was you know it was a, a happy surprise, I guess. So I want to switch topics a little bit, and something that is also as near to your heart as the furniture building, and that's the photography. When people build furniture, they build it and they see it and their shop sees it and then their client sees it and the friends see it. And that word of mouth is a way to get your business to build. But at the same time, we all know that you need a website and there is social media, whether you want to participate in it or not, you still want to be able to showcase your work. As a professional photographer turned professional furniture maker, what would you recommend to people who are looking to capture their work and make it look as good online as it is in person? You know, I see a lot of people that they just want to take pictures of their furniture, like on white seamless, just white backdrop, really clean. I don't do that for a couple of reasons. One is just space. Like it takes a ton of space to start setting up lights and roll out seamless. Like you almost need a shop's worth of space just for a few pictures Two, it's hard to get scale when something is just sitting on a white backdrop 
so for me, it's like I love to shoot stuff in a space, whether it's my house. If it's something that I deliver, I always try to take pictures of it in kind of its new home. If it's something I'm shipping, if I have time or I have the space to do it, I'll set it up somewhere in the house, take pictures of it. One thing I say is like try to try to keep everything really bright, really light. I've done a couple of these like clothespin benches that are on my website and it helps some people will see it and they're just like, what is it? Like, is that a coffee table? And so I always sit on it for a photo. And what I'll do is I'll set my camera on a tripod. I'll slow the shutter speed way down and I'll sit on it and I'll just kind of like rock back and forth and like wiggle my legs and feet. And what that does is that puts a person there, but it puts some motion in it too. So for one, it's not just a person sitting there smiling. So you don't have to like be camera ready, I guess. But also it puts a shape there that's the size of a person, but the focus is the bench, you know? And so doing something like that, it adds interest, but it also adds scale, which I think is really important, especially with furniture. Because it's you can look at a piece online and you're like, well, how big is that? I don't know how, like, what size is that? So that's something that I, I always do. Like, you'll never see something just on white for new stuff, I don't, I don't ever shoot anything on white. I like it to be in a space. That way it kind of, it almost creates a story of like where it's going, how it looks, and then gives it some scale. I actually want to talk about your clothespin bench. And I'm glad that you brought that up because furniture like that falls more into the fantasy or the, the whimsical rather than the standard coffee table or chair or something that people are used to you're in between furniture and art and performance art and so it doesn't fit nicely into a specific category you've sold a bunch of them when you're dealing with a client for something like this how are you explaining how they can use it in their home is it an art piece? Is it a piece of furniture? And how are you pricing something out like that, that doesn't really have any visual comparisons in the marketplace? So as far as the clothespin bench goes, they are, they are very hefty. They, they are, they are heavy pieces of furniture, but so kind of going back the very first one, it was for, it was actually my last piece of furniture in Seattle before we moved. My client was a, a like a a graphic designer um she may have even been like head of design for whatever company she worked for at the time so very very artsy person they had just built a house but they had all of these trees on the property that had to be cut down and they saved all the all the lumber they they had had someone come in and slab it up it had been stacked and drying for like three or four years when I, when I got there. Well, actually we had talked about design and she sent over a picture of a clothespin and was like, have you ever thought of doing a bench like this? Like, could we use this as inspiration? I was like, I would love to do a, a bench like that. That would be awesome. And so then I designed it in SketchUp. Uh, we fine tune the size depending on their space initially like i wanted to make it big i wanted to do it like 10 feet long but well they had the space but they had other plans for that space as well so 
um, we scaled it down to about six feet long. And then I, I went through all the lumber they had. And then I built the first one and they loved it. And I really like, I priced it probably low. One thing, the lumber was free, but I had a, I had a ton of time into it. And that was one of those things. It's like price this one a little low and then figure out what a price, what I would need to price it at in the future, especially if I'm having to buy the amount of lumber that goes into these things. And I really like looking at the price. I really didn't expect to sell any ever. Are you pricing these out as regular furniture or are you pricing them out with the quote unquote piece of art price tag? Probably closer to regular furniture. Um, I, so what I do for pricing is I have a spreadsheet that breaks down like I've got all of the different types of wood priced out, or at least the types of wood that I use the most often priced out. And so I can go in and say, okay, this piece of furniture is going to be, it's going to take 200 board feet of lumber. And it gives me a number for this is how much the lumber is going to cost. I'm going to have say 80 hours into this piece. It'll, it gives me a number there on my hourly rate. And then my spreadsheet breaks out to, I can either do time and materials and it gives me a price or it does materials times like four or whatever. And so I'm looking at like kind of the best return and sometimes materials times four is like this crazy number. Whereas time and materials, like I know I'm still going to make money on this. It's, it's a more reasonable number. And then there's times where it's like, this seems a little low. This seems a little high. I'm just going to go somewhere in, in between. And I think that's where the clothespin falls too. Cause it is, I don't want to call it a piece of art, but it definitely falls more onto the art side. And so there is kind of a, a markup for, for it being more of an art piece. You've had your company since 2015 and have evolved it over the years and have gone full time in two different cities and have been building furniture for a while. And I'm sure you've picked up a lot of knowledge and also working with and talking to and and interacting with a lot of other furniture makers in this space. I'm sure you've you've shared a good amount of insight into the industry. For people who are looking to get into this business or for people who have been doing it for a while and want to run their business better, what type of advice could you share with those people that has really stuck with you over the years to help you grow your own business? When I was in school for photography, one of the teachers always said, like, set your price and set it a little high because once you set your price low, it's going to be hard to raise your price. That's always kind of stuck with me. So for initial pieces of furniture, I will price it a little bit low, but that's not like a public, like I'm putting it everywhere at say $2,000, but then, oh, Ethan wants one, so I'm going to charge him 5000 I feel like now I've got a better sense of kind of how long different things will take. But if you set that price where you're happy with it, then you're, you'll, you'll find your market. 
um, or your market will find you. And then that's also, if you're in a super small town, people aren't going to want to pay thousands of dollars for a piece of furniture. So you also have to know your market too and know what you're going for. But I still, like, I would much rather price my stuff a little higher than, than really low and just barely be scraping by. Pricing is something that people deal with throughout their entire career. So that is great advice that you shared. And I appreciate that. And also all the other things that you've talked about on this episode. And I know that it's helping everybody listening. So from me, I want to thank you. And from everybody listening along, I want to thank you as well for sharing your time and your experiences with us all. So thank you and wishing you nothing but success moving forward in your business. Oh, you're very welcome. And I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.